0: Two, one, sit back, relax, and enjoy the Beta Sandwich Science Podcast. Hello, and welcome back to the Beta Sandwich Science Podcast, your source for news and trends in the molecular biosciences. This is episode number 57 for August 30th, 2014. On today's show, we're going to learn have we created a super pure rail that actually does something good for you instead of just killing all the good bacteria? <laughs> Um, We're talking about growing organs inside of mice and and a whole bunch of other stuff. Actually, Uh, I don't want to give so the last little bit away So stick around (laughs) Awesome, and we're also going to teach you a scientific technique today Someone asked kind of about the tools we use in the lab and how we actually detect these tiny things you can't see and uh, we're going to discuss something about that as well so uh, bing, Christian Copley Salem is with us today. He's a PhD student in Cell Molecular Pharmacology at the University of Nevada, Reno. No, I'm not. I did it for you. How are you, Christian? <laughs> <laughs> I am fantastic. Outstanding. And I'm Scott Barnett. I am also a Ph.D. candidate at the University of Nevada, Reno uh, in Cell Molecular Pharmacology. We are in the same program, adjoining labs. Christian and I have known each other for many moons. Christian, we I guess we, we started out by taking some classes together as an undergraduate, and as uh, fate would have it. We just, uh, we ended up. Yeah, there's no, like, together. defining
1: moment. Like, I don't even remember meeting you. No. Um, it's
0: just like we started talking. It was a, I feel like it was cell bio. It was third or fourth year. I think third yeah. year. Anyway, the, the, the bio, we were both biochemistry undergraduates together. And there's a, um, it's a, it's a fairly small group. By the time you get to junior, senior level, and people who've dropped out are going to drop out of the program. Um, by the time you get there, there's what, maybe thirty, forty people in the entire program at the school? Yeah, like like literally fifty. Uh, I think it's almost exactly fifty. It's almost exactly fifty. So you you pretty much know everyone at least yeah. by by face, uh, uh by the end. And uh and so now here we are. Jeez, look really? at us. Almost all growing up. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. You do anything fun this week? Um, the rib cook off. Mm. Which, the famous Reno, Nevada rib cook-off. It's about as American as you can get, boys and girls. Well, you know, I don't really like ribs, which Here makes you a crazy person for I'm, being I'm a non-vegetarian. Like people throwing things at me. As um, far as the pyramid of like perfect foods for non-vegetarians, naturally bacon is the base. Okay, and then just I'll go one rung up for most people is is ribs. You, they're both okay. I don't dislike them.
1: In other words, it's not like eating them is. Uh, like misery for me right they're just they're messy and kind of a pain in the butt and I'm a big fan of like large chunks of meat in one (laughs) serving like Mm, okay to save myself from everything everyone's thinking I'm gonna say (laughs) like a filet mignon that's really the only steak that I get so it just seems like it's not quite enough actual food for the price that you pay
0: it, it, we've talked about this it's not like a crab leg though it's not well, no, like it, you have to spend a minute and a half to get to get a piece of meat that's the size of a, a piece of bubble gum I backed
1: you, off I backed off on the too much work thing <laughs> you'll notice I didn't mention that it just it just seems like not a lot of meat I don't know it's I don't know. I've eaten them. I eat them. They're okay. It seems like a giant festival to celebrate them is a little over the top for me. But I always go and get the pulled pork sandwiches because it's a better sort of way to judge their barbecue sauce, which is really what they're selling. Because anybody can throw a piece of rib on the barbecue and cook it. I would agree. So it's really a barbecue Oh, sauce. that's a bit that's- of
0: an art form too. Not, this is the cooking show. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I stumbled across the perfect way to cook ribs, which is uh, you can slow cook them, which is a great way, but just doing like 300 or I think like 280 in the oven for like mm-hmm. 12 hours or something, you cover yeah. them and then you pull them out. Then you do like three or four minutes on the barbecue just to get that caramelization and the burnt, you know what I mean? And then, yeah. uh, and then they're, it, it's the most wonderful thing ever. Right.
1: And I'm a big fan of spicy. Yeah, so. me too. I bought a I bought a bottle of scorpion pepper barbecue sauce, which
0: was pretty awesome. That is a good idea. We should talk. Uh, we should do a show about how actually spicy foods make work. Yeah, we should. On. So, um, cool. Um, yeah, it was a pretty low key week for me too. We saw. I went last night um, and saw a movie called uh, Boyhood. Have you heard of this movie? No. Yeah, I hadn't really either. And then, like, I vaguely remember hearing something about it when I watched the preview. That it's actually a wholly unique movie. Nothing's ever been done like this. They it, it took like fifteen years to shoot the movie, something like what? that, because they used the same the actors from age three to like age eighteen, and what? they used the same actors and they literally shot them growing up. And so it's a movie. It has Ethan Hawke in it. He really carries the movie from a from a hardcore like good actor standpoint, and. Huh. Um, and it's about this family and it's just it's a typical movie about you know growing up and divorce and and alcoholism and all this stuff but it's about the it's from the kids perspective of them growing up and it's the same actors for the whole thing so it took 15 years to shoot and i thought it would look cuz they clearly shot it on film because there was a really good continuity you never got the impression that like oh look the quality of the film's getting much better as it goes along you know
1: that's what i was thinking i'm like did they is it like real to real and they have to change it yeah. halfway through? I'm like- guessing
0: they use the same film stock or at least the same type of film throughout the whole thing. And then they have professional color graders these days that are really good at trying to yeah. match these things. But you would never it's have true. guessed if you had seen it. They did a really good job. It turned out to be actually an excellent, excellent movie. Way too long though. I mean, I guess if <laughs> I spent 15 years making a movie, it would be really and you had fifty hours of footage, it'd probably be really hard to cut a lot of it out. But it was two hours and forty-five minutes. Jiminy Christmas. I mean, that's Lord of the Rings long, or even longer cool. if you're not going with the extended edition. So, anyways, <laughs> if you want to, it's it's actually on its own without the gimmick of the 15 years to shoot. It's a really good movie. If you're looking for, for a, 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 a just a really well-made kind of like growing up document or not documentary, it's, it's all fiction, but just movie, then I highly recommend it. So Cool. Go. Yeah. Lastly, with local news... Um, Christian and I were having a, what can only be, uh, to a bystander would be considered an argument, but hey, Christian and I, uh, <laughs> we would look call it so weird. a regular conversation, uh, <laughs> that we probably don't even remember half the time, uh, about the weather. Oh, I remember this one. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I was complaining about how hot it was this summer. Christian was saying that it was a, uh, it was mild, summer. mild and, in in and unreasonably cool in his personal, uh, opinion, uh, But this morning, I was just going through my websites. Uh, I I basically have this fire hose feed feed of websites I get all the time. Um, And uh, I just, right at the top, it was, How hot was the summer of 2014? This is a scientific article, Scientific American article. Now, I know we have people from all over the world, which is actually pretty dang amazing. I know we have people from over in merry old England. Um, We have people from Mexico who listen. I know, of course, we have people from the United States and all over the United States. So, This may be different for everyone, but basically the question was, how does summer stack up as far as heatness, or hotness, heatness? How is the heatness? Um, (laughs) So the answer was, well, it depends on where you live. Um, Some regions it was actually cool, and some regions it was actually hot. So, uh, Christian? Yes? I hate to break the news to you, but it says that across the west and southwest, nearly every city was baking this summer as of august 24th the recent data available for seattle portland oregon san francisco fresno um and much of the midwest was their one of their hottest summers on record we definitely fall into that region my friend and i don't care what argument you're going to come up right now the data is on my side so please anecdotally uh, uh, uh uh pontificate if you must
1: I just I don't think you looked at Reno We're a high desert we could be very different from Sacramento and wherever um if you look at the weather compared to other places nearby
0: my well, anecdote plus my evidence equals findings <laughs> p.01 I I'm going to have, I'm going to have to um and have to
1: research that myself.
0: I, I I would love to get your your take on it. Now I, I had no intention of bring this or talking about it. Just it was literally <laughs> top of my feed when I woke up this morning at six A.M. I looked at the thing and it says how hot was the summer of twenty fourteen? I'm like, I have to look at this. Um, because if you if and it's
1: true though, everyone that I've mentioned this conversation to has been like, dude Scott's high. It's been the coldest summer I've ever experienced. Um we could also use my as evidence, my power bill um, during the summer, and I, I looked back at this, all of my that power bills indicator. have been over $100 a month because of the AC. This month, this year, I haven't gone over 60 bucks a month in any summer month. We literally haven't run the AC this summer. I've it's lived in my high.
0: current house for two years. I am going to. You should look. I'm going to compare. I will use that as the definitive marker between the two summers. <laughs> I will use that in, if, if my aggregate summer bill was lower this summer than last summer, I will actually concede defeat and we will bring it up next week. All right. Sounds good. That is actually a good marker. (laughs) That is
1: a pretty legit marker. Okay. Okay.
0: What do we talk about now?
1: Oh, I don't know anything we want. <laughs> anything we want, really.
0: Um, oh, I forgot to mention Carolina. She's uh, we it it is seven a.m. on a Saturday morning. That's how much we love you people to get up and record this early on on a weekend. Uh, <laughs> we just switched to this new time. We were doing it on Thursday nights. Carolina, uh, I did not send a reminder email, and it looks like I probably should have because. um uh, I believe Miss Bush is uh sawing some logs right now. So <laughs> we will have her back next week. Um she's always been the rock. I've never it's I've never in my life had to worry about Carolina not being on the show. So yeah. say la vie. Um well I think we have no choice, absolutely no choice, but to move on to which section?
1: uh, uh I don't know. <laughs> Science blast
0: <laughs> Wow. I almost feel we need to retire it. It feels so forced in and unnatural. Dell just brought like such a uh, uh an uh just uh, energy. There was a je ne sais quoi that he he just made it wonderful. Yeah. And we also say that every week and people are probably tired of us talking about that. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. So, um stories. I would like you to tell me a fun story about some some dead bacteria.
1: Okay. Um, So going to the hospital is a pretty dangerous affair um, based on the fact that, you know, everyone there is sick. So it's not exactly the most healthy, healthy environment. And it is, it is pretty, pretty impossible to keep all the bacteria and bad things um, away from patients. Uh, Most hospitals deal with bacterial infections of some kind, Um, it's not like 99% of people who go to the hospital are going to get some sort of bacterial infection, but the ones that do exist in hospitals are really, really, really virulent and really resistant to antibiotics because obviously if they weren't they would not be there
0: and you're also Um, dealing with an immune compromised population typically right right. you don't go to the hospital to to go on a roller coaster you're going there because you're effed up
1: right it's like they used to you know quarantine people who were sick in these areas so that they wouldn't spread the disease well hospitals are a little bit like a quarantine area in that all the sick people are there so you know all the all the bacteria all the viruses everything are there um and in particular, one of the problems that hospitals face is something called a biofilm. Um, it sounds and- like
0: a sounds like a like a me- death metal band.
1: <laughs> oh man, biofilm. It's a, a new band name <laughs> <idea>. <laughs> <laughs>
0: It's
1: funny that you would say that because I'm going to totally aside here for a second because there's <laughs> only two of us. Um, I've been trying to come up with a band name for a long time because um, I'm sort of a band of my own, whatever and my friend oh, one had one. this list of band names and they're absolutely hilarious if you read them all really fast and i won't do it on the air because it's it would kill our our not dirty rating but um the majority of them are hilarious
0: like crockpot ham and a bunch of other weird things <laughs> they're just non sequiturs that that's how all these bands are these days yeah. you, you take like a you take a, like a like an adjective and like a verb and you just push them together you know what i yeah. mean
1: like, actually, one of my favorites that I think would make a better album name is "Sharks or Bitches." I just think that's hilarious. That is so. Funny. <laughs> I have to put biofilms on there, anyways. Right. So a biofilm is really just a colony of bacteria that basically builds a shield around it to protect itself from things like antibiotics. Um, most antibiotics, in fact, almost all of them, cannot penetrate a biofilm, and Biofilms protect the bacteria where they grow and then you can get infected from them and they grow on um, like equipment and things that are and they become very hard to clean. You can't just wipe them off or spray them down or even sanitize them because the biofilm is protecting the bacteria underneath. Um, and there's a lot of bacteria that produce them. It's not a single species. It is a, it is a bacteria problem, not a species problem. So everybody's kind of been trying to figure out a way to get rid of, um, these biofilms and the best way to do it that they have found so far is this gel that, um, is made from natural proteins and it basically dissolves, um, the biofilm and kills bacteria. So, you can imagine, I don't know if anyone knows what a catheter is, but the last place that I want a biofilm growing is on a catheter um, (laughs) that gets jammed up in there. And (laughs) so, it's one of the reasons why this is such a big problem. And um, there's not a lot of technical details about this, but it's basically just um, a protein that they've constructed probably found in some organism. It doesn't even say where they got it from. Um, but it is, it is just a, a chompy little chewy protein that eats up the biofilm and then attacks the bacteria underneath. This could change a lot, a lot of problems that they have in hospitals because it can kill MRSA. Um, and I don't know if anyone knows what MRSA is, but it stands for Methicillin-Resistant Staphylococcus aureus. And that is the, MRSA is the bad bug. Um, It is antibiotic resistant, it's evil, it's under a biofilm, and there's a whole lot of um, people who get very sick and some who die from staphylococcus infections in hospitals. So um, the moral of the story is this is a good way to attack them. At some point, they may develop a resistance to it. Um, And the way that would work is, if these proteins are eating through the biofilm, what they're doing is they're using some sort of chemical active site to attack a certain chemical structure within the biofilm and break it down. And at some point, the bacteria could start producing a biofilm that has slightly different properties in that area, and then the protein wouldn't be able to attack it. Um, things like you have pro- you have proteins in your body that eat other proteins. Um, Like in your stomach, you have trypsin and pepsin and all these other proteins. And what they do is they dissolve what you eat. Um, They're obviously sequestered in your stomach because if they were running havoc through the rest of your body, it would be a bad juju. But if you were to, there are certain protein types that they cannot break down. Um, And they're limited to cutting proteins at certain designated areas. So if the bacteria are able to create a biofilm that doesn't have that particular target area that these proteins are after, um, there could be some evolution happening there. But fortunately, that hasn't happened yet. And even if it does happen, it's going to take a while. So this should be a way to get, um, get rid of some of the populations of antibiotic resistant bugs, which in turn then shifts the the evolutionary pressure away from antibiotics and towards this biofilm reduction and then we'll be able to use antibiotics again on these bugs because they've lost the ability because you can lose things after they become evolutionarily irrelevant so so there you go
0: so if, if I hear you right there's kind of a couple different classes of bacteria some of them are easy to kill with antibiotics or alcohol or whatever you want to put your pure L but the ones that are really hard are the ones that have these biofilms and these biofilms kind of form a shell around them and protect them from most of the normal stuff we'd use to kill them along comes this new uh uh reagent or drug whatever you want to call it that will it's basically like scissors it's like an enzyme and it will cut through that biofilm and it will essentially kill it and we didn't have this before and this is a good thing right
1: it is um all basically all bacteria produce biofilms okay it's the matter of how long they sit in an open air. It's like a protective coating. They're not doing it to resist antibiotics. They, want, they don't to want to dry out. Environment, correct. So most bacteria, not all, but most bacteria will produce it if they're left in a, in certain environments. And uh,
0: So why is MRSA different? How does this – why
1: – MRSA has a plasmid that contains a resistance to antibiotics ah, in it. Got it, got it. And it is the main antibiotic that people were using in hospitals, methicillin. Uh-huh. So, um, as everybody probably has heard me rant about before, these little plasmids that carry resistance can be passed between bacteria and to other species, and they can pass around antibiotics. They find these bacteria that have like six and seven antibiotic resistance genes in them because they're just picking them up from their neighbors. So...
0: Well, it's a student in our lab. Mike. He uh, he spent the summer working in a, a different lab in in uh, oh yeah in um, in Moscow, uh, Idaho this summer, and that's what they studied. They they found that by giving lots of antibiotics to cows to prevent them from getting sick. That was being transferred to the feces, which was be transferred to the to the uh, natural microbes in the in the soil, and then that was being transferred to groundwater, which was then being transferred back to uh, other mammals, i.e., humans. And uh, those now those those resistant um, bacteria, or those uh, uh, what do you call them um, antibiotic resistant bacteria, were finding their way into people's guts. So uh, it's another uh, the dirge of overuse of antibiotics uh, is just uh, been shown again. So good stuff. Yeah. Cool. Uh, Aaron Miller, uh, he wanted me to talk about uh, transferring, um, uh, oh, so I'm not talking about this, but I wanted to tell him that that I'm going to talk about it. I just wanted some more time to look at this. Um, I got to it a little bit too late here, but there's basically the premise is that um, they found that by transferring gut bacteria from one person to another, you could actually halt some forms of um, immune allergies, um, or I'm sorry, food allergies. Right off the bat, that seemed kind of weird to me because if you have a food allergy, uh, there's really no going back from that. It deal, you have a fundamental change in how your body deals with the when it sees the food, and you get histamine release. There's a difference right. between that and food sensitization. We'll get into that next week, but uh, but uh, I thought that was a pretty cool story, especially if uh, you are slightly sensitive to one type of food and you don't have an allergy. We might be able to to stop that. So cool. Fecal transplant, fecal transplant. Well, that was another story someone put up there about. Uh, I think it was Aaron too about. Uh, they have, the, although we talked about this in the past, it was. Uh, the, you have, they have the fecal transplant pills now, which to me sounds infinite. I would rather take a pill up the kazoo than I would uh, <laughs> than I would swallow one. I don't care how much it smells like cherry pie or whatever you want it to smell like. Just knowing Just... you're eating a poo pill that, that doesn't settle well. No pun intended. <laughs> All right. Right up in there. Right up in there. <laughs> up the kazoo. Okay. So um, I got two short stories here, and, okay. uh, and then we'll call it a day. So cool. uh, one uh, is, I think this was released in PNAS. The pub, uh, <laughs> right up in there. Right up in there. <laughs> the Proceedings of the National Academy of Science. I think this is from PNAS. Um, it has the oh-so-scientific and un- interesting name of an organized and functional thymus generator from Fox N one reprogrammed fibroblast. So, uh, oh, I love those. <laughs> they are good, but this is actually pretty cool what they've done. And researchers have successfully grown organs, um, in a controlled lab environment, but they were able to control, uh, to, to grow organs from scratch, from cells, by injecting these cells into another animal's or another, or I should say, same species, but into, into the body of another, another mouse. So they took cells that they wanted to grow into an organ. Put it into another mouse, and they were able to actually grow that organ, which is insane because uh, yeah, because there, there's so much going on there that that needs to be done that just is not available. Are these um, like skid mice? Uh, these are not even skid mice, but these are, I believe, uh, and I didn't go too deep into this. I believe they were genetic uh, genetic clones. So so you're, you're okay. less likely to have a, a, a strong immune response in that sense. Gotcha. But uh, um, uh, these are univer- research from the University of Edinburgh over in Scotland that's my offensive i, I can't do any. <laughs> i'm like oh, i am i gotta do uh, uh what's his name willie um groundskeeper um, willie yeah yeah <laughs> um so anyways uh yeah so they grew thymus glands inside of mice and they they did this by re-programming as they say the genes um and regenerating these into into the cells they were trying to make here so that what's different about this group is that they didn't use we've talked in the past about like with hearts um where you can remove all the cells but keep the coll- collagen skeleton behind, which is you take all the cells out, but the actual scaffolding that used to be the heart is still there, and then they grow cells onto that. They did not do that in this case. These are literally just using uh, a cell called fibroblast, which is normally used to create the extracellular matrix on the cell, all the little bits that go on the outside of the cell, um, and collagen and all that sort of stuff. So they they were able to reprogram that, and they used it with something called a trans- transcription fax factor Foxed box N one fox and one but um that's all boring um but what they <laughs> what they were able to find is that by 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 tweaking this one transcription factor they were able to reprogram these fibroblasts into functional thymic cells and not only were the, were the, the cells functional they formed into a thymus and uh, they were able to make cd4 cd8 t cells so the thymus is um is a small very very simple organ in your body but without it uh, it's actually kind of behind your it's kind of about where your thyroid is it's behind your breastbone a little bit so it's kind of up pretty high um it creates all of your T cells in your body. Without your T cells, you basically have no immune response. So Some people are born without thymuses, and you're able to inject T cells into them to keep them going, but the fact is is that they're gonna have a very weak immune system. And it's a very simple organ, so they started with that, but they were able to reprogram it, put the cells in the mouse, and these actually formed with this reprogrammed FOX1 um, transcription factor, and they were able to form into the thing, so form into a thymus, and that's pretty dang amazing to me.
1: That's pretty awesome. Um- So what, so let me, let me clarify here. They would be growing these for people who don't have them, or they would be able to regrow them in people who don't have them.
0: Uh, it could really be either. They mentioned that it would be good for donors who are waiting for good matches on people with other tissue types, um, okay. and you could kind of have a, a somewhat functioning version of an organ while, while you're waiting, um, and people who have lost a lot of their immune system, and especially people who get, like, bone marrow transplants and whatnot. They mm. have a very hard time with their immune system, and by putting these cells in and kind of supplementing a, an existing thymus, you could actually get them to become healthier faster um oh, okay. the thing they're saying though is that the thymus is a is a shockingly simple organ if, if there is such a thing um and in it right. it's basically a glump a of cells that come together and um and because the fibroblast it deals with this matrix and collagen which deals with binding of cells together i think that was one of the key factors that caused right. these cells to aggregate and form this 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 functioning thymus but um yeah that's cool. Yeah. Next stop. So, but that—that's—that's—that was the the teaser. I actually have a story I was a little bit more excited about, which I okay. thought was pretty cool. So, uh, a group of researchers in New Zealand this time. Um, I'm not even gonna try to do a New Zealand <laughs> accent. Um, <laughs> sound like Dean. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you sound like Dean. Yeah. We have a guy we work with that's. Uh, I just have to do his laugh. He's like. Ah! He does have a very distinct. You can hear him from a block away every time he laughs. He's a nice guy. Um, So, anyways, a group of researchers from New Zealand they discover they they created a device that, in my opinion, sounds like it came right out of the old U.S. of A. Uh, The device is called the Freedom Four. Oh God! (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I'm just going to give you one guess. What do you think the Freedom Four does, Christian? With all the information I've given you?
1: Oh, the Freedom Four does it cut off your limbs so they can be free to regrow a new you i have no idea
0: did you read the story that is <laughs> no, exactly right oh my gosh the freedom, that's so awesome. <laughs> the freedom the freedom yeah you lose all four of your limbs yeah see, um I no <laughs> As they describe it, this is bringing quantitative PCR, DNA sequencing to the field. Um, So uh, what it is, is that it's a small machine called a PCR machine, which I'll talk about in a minute here. Uh, It's about the size of a brick and uh, a little bit bigger, but essentially the size of the brick. It's got a six hour battery life and it can process DNA samples, identifying the presence of viruses and bacteria and other bad things in the field. So... um, a normal PCR machine, which some of you still have no idea what I'm talking about here, but it's about the size of, uh, at best, about half of a microwave. If you were to cut a microwave in half, give or take. Quantitative PCR machines, which is what this is, is actually, those are a bit bigger. I, well, I don't know. What, what's a good household item that you would say is a QPCR size? Um, they can be uh, as big as an oven, Um, which we have one that's that big, the smaller, more modern ones are still about half that size. So they're like a
1: big subwoofer speaker.
0: Yeah, that's a good way to say it. And, and they require a lot of energy and they're not portable. They're highly sensitive. They need to be calibrated and and you're not moving. If you, you don't want to look at that thing wrong. You you don't move (laughs) it once you plug it in. So it's pretty cool that they made something this small that actually works and is portable. Um, so the idea is that what this can do is it can diagnose diseases on the spot. Um, it can it, you can take a sample from someone and you could very quickly say you have uh, malaria, you have um, you've got yeah. whatever disease, maybe even Ebola since that's all hot news. Uh, no Ebola talk this week, but if you're watching the news at all, it's getting even worse. I I, I wouldn't yeah. be surprised if this thing has quite the flare up before it burns out, but yeah, yeah. yeah uh, it's we've been no pun intended, we've been burn out on the topic. It's been on the news cycle for like four weeks, a lot. So people are like, "Yeah, I understand it's worse, and it's still killing people. We just don't want to hear about it anymore." But it is getting worse. And oh, Z map that drug has been used to to uh, very effectively, by the way. So, cool. Side side note. So, anyways, DNA. So, um, so what a PCR machine does is that it uh, it uh, it it is able to seek. It's able to identify a certain part of of, uh, of an organism's genome and and identify it, and The way pcr works in general is that so you've got your dna from whatever organism it could be a viral dna it could be human dna and maybe it's a human dna and you want to see if you have a gene for parkinson's or something Um, it could be a bacterial genome the fact is that you know the dna each one of these genes uh, that you're looking for is wholly unique to that either that organism or to the disease you're trying to look for now the problem is, is that while you have a lot of copies of the genome, it's very hard to identify if that one small it, to identify what that genome is. and And what PCR does is it allows you to identify a very small region of a, uh, an organism or a virus or a, a gene and in, it allows you to amplify it so you can actually see if it's there. And so what I'm basically saying is that, uh, in this case, let's say we wanted to say, hey, does this person have um, Ebola, right? Ebola has very specific genome in it. So what you can do is you can take uh, something called primers, and these are small segments that little like bits of DNA that perfectly match the or complement the DNA of the organism you're looking for. They bind to it. And then we have something called a polymerase, which takes, which binds to that little area where where your primer binds to, and it amplifies the DNA there. And what this, the end state of this is, is that your you every you, you heat up your DNA, which will denature it, which means that the two double-stranded sides break apart. These little primers that are specific to the organism or gene you're looking for. Now that these, when you heat things, these, these uh, DNA up really hot they'll break apart these primers will bind to it if that gene is in what you're looking for if you're looking for the virus if you're looking for uh whatever you want to be looking for uh, the the hunting's genes or whatever you're looking for if it's present in your sample those primers will bind perfectly to it and it will amplify that region and you you repeat the cycle of heating it up breaking it apart primers binding amplifying and every time you do it you're doubling the amount of sequence you're trying to identify and over if you do it 30 times you have over a billion copies from your original piece of dna so what you end up with is billions and billions of copies of the single little strip of DNA. And once you have your billions and billions of copies, you can very quickly identify by running it on a gel. uh, If you'll see a very thick band of your DNA you're looking for, and if it's the right size, molecular weight, then you know what you were looking for is there. And we've been doing this for a long time to identify uh, diseases. If you're doing something like, no, I think 23andMe does it differently, but this is a, a really common technique in hospitals and whatnot to say, does this person have? This disease, this bacteria, this 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 gene we're looking for in them to to do this sort of thing here. As so, far as
1: I know, it's the gold standard for disease identification.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, if, if you go to like
1: your local clinic and you get an AIDS test, they do an ELISA. Um, but if you're if they're really hardcore and you really need to know, they'll do a they'll do a PCR test.
0: Ooh, ELISA would be a good one for, one for next week because they yeah. ELISAs um are used um. Are used for pregnancy tests to AIDS tests. They're used for everything. They're actually pretty interesting how they work here. So the takeaway from this is that that's what a, a PCR does. Is that it? It, it take it, it. If you have whatever gene or whatever whatever you're trying to identify in a genome, if if it is in the sample you have there, it will amplify a small section of that over and over and over and over again. And over a period of about an hour, you will have. Billions of copies of it, and it's very easy to see billions of copies of something, whereas it's very difficult to see a very small section within a gene. And okay. um, these people use a quantitative PCR, which uses something called the DNA probe. And and if you're every time a copy is made, it releases a little bit of light. And so every time, if you're doubling every single time, every sequence you're doubling on a little, uh, your light amount doubles, and you're able to see exactly how much starting uh, of your uh, gene you had, um, uh, and it's a, it's a very good technique to identify to, to the quantity, that's what they call it, quantitative PCR, the quantity of your starting amount of DNA here.
1: Would that be, uh, what would the value of the quantitative part of that be in disease identification?
0: So I think, it, uh, the reason I think it is, is that it doesn't have to do with the starting amount in this case, it has to do with the fact that they don't want to have to run a gel afterward, so they want to be able to in-machine Every time that your, your your amplification happens and you double the amount of DNA you have, you're going to be get letting a lot of light out. So if they start to see, lots of um lots of light being emitted from the source after a, after thirty cycles, they know that gene was there. They don't even okay. have to that makes sense. They don't have to do anything further with the gel. What they didn't say is how they're going to prepare these samples. Typically, when you prepare a sample for, um for PCR or qPCR, you have to have a highly Uh, process sample to to isolate the dna you're looking for sometimes you even have to make the dna from rna and you have to do all kinds of crazy stuff they didn't mention how that happens at all here they basically made it sound like you you inject something into into you know with a syringe and in an hour later you have your result but they could um, do cell swabs i guess although blood maybe blood but man you would think your starting material be so light in blood maybe i don't know
1: Well, but remember that qPCR, PCR in general, honestly, you can have two transcripts in a sample, and it will find it and amplify it ridiculously. So, I mean, I can understand how they wouldn't need a lot of starting material, but Scott's right. It's a very sensitive, you know, I mean, I guess if they're going for DNA to start with, DNA is much more stable. Um, A lot of lab PCR is done from RNA. Which is ridiculously fragile. So, you know, if you're doing DNA, you could probably drop a sample in the dirt and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it would make it through. But RNA, you can look at RNA and it will, it will.
0: i would just be interested to see how they prep the samples because it's yeah. not like you're going yeah. to, like, uh, I don't think you're just going to take a cheek swab and then put that and then rub that onto a sensor and then an hour later you have the result but yeah you'd have
1: to break the cells open at least
0: yeah so but the bottom line though is that it's actually pretty cool that you can take a very small machine throw it in a truck in Africa go out and you can someone's not feeling well and um you could very quickly test for five or six common diseases and then you could have a a really good treatment plan for that individual based on based yeah. on that disease so so um, uh, kudos, silence moves forward. It's not, pretty soon it will be like an attachment for your iPhone. Right. <laughs> oh my gosh. So uh, iPhone attachments. Um, I'd
1: never seen this done, but when I bought my scorpion pepper barbecue sauce, the lady just pulls out her, her um, iPhone, puts the little thing in there and just slides my card through it. She's oh, like, yeah. do, you want, do you want an email receipt? I'm like, okay. She's like, type in your email. So I was like, boop, 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 send.
0: Yeah, I know the card reader. It's all over the place. Yeah. But um, yeah yeah, 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 yeah. They're getting it's there. scary. Well, they actually have like uh, IR detectors for your iPhone. They have um, there are uh, they have uh, sensors that can detect a uh, uh, heart rate. Um, uh, ooh, I saw a, a new app for an iPhone that can determine for hospital staff if someone is going through a true withdrawal from a drug or if they're drug seeking based on the tremor. Hello. Sorry to make you edit. That was my fault. No, what happened? Oh, you have I Yeah, I
1: screwed up and closed the wrong thing. No, don't worry about
0: it. It was like one <laughs> second. So, but this okay. app, so if a hand is tremoring. Uh, in a truly random way, in which your your brain is not sending is sending bad signals to your arm muscles, essentially, uh, the way your hand tremors from a from a true tremor versus someone faking a tremor is apparently quite distinguishable, and the accelerometer inside of an iPhone can or any phone really could can distinguish between the two. So, huh. yeah, that's
1: kind of funny. Yeah, so
0: good team. So iPhones can do everything. And it actually really wouldn't surprise me in, in fifteen years if there was literally a plugin for your phone that <laughs> that that allowed you to, to do a QPCR. It wouldn't surprise me. That'd be me. awesome. It would be awesome. So good times. We were talking about something before the show. I, we were, where I'm like, save it for on air and I don't even remember what it was now.
1: Oh, me either. Oh no. Oh no. I don't remember. Literally you were like, Hold it for on air and then we literally started the show and I have no idea what no you were talking idea. about.
0: That's how life works, my friend.
1: Movies? Was it the movies? Rib cook-off? I don't know. No, that was all on the show. I don't know.
0: It doesn't matter. You, We've moved forward. So, we have uh, our lives have moved on. Yeah. I think that's all we got, my friend. Okay. That's all I got. All right. A little bit shorter than normal, but uh what can you do? Eh, not too bad. You get what you pay for. You do. <laughs> that's awesome. All right. Cool. So, uh, I guess that will do it. Everybody have a nice three-day weekend. I feel like we're like a like a high school couple that doesn't want to get off the phone. I'm like, (laughs) no, you hang up first. So I guess I'll talk to you. Clarity hung up on you, so (laughs) you did twice. So now I'm the desperate. I'm I'm the desperate (laughs) like dude trying to like. Like
1: no, I didn't do it on purpose. (laughs) I swear.
0: All right. Well, thank you for awesome. listening to the Beta Sandwich Science Podcast. Uh, in a, shortly, uh, in a bridge show, and we miss missing Carolina, but we will, we will, we will rectify this. We'll get back together, and uh, 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 you know, I tried to lay off requesting this, but come on, people, go to iTunes, leave us some comments, do us, do us that. Goodness and uh follow us on the Twitter machine at Beta Sandwich and we're beta sandwich podcast on Facebook, which is probably our most up-to-date thing there. And um that's life. Cool. Cool. Peace out. Bye.